Judas betrays Jesus. Immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, came up, accompanied by a crowd with swords and clubs, who were from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now he who was betraying him had given them a signal, saying, Whoever I kiss, he's the one. Seize him and lead him away under guard. After coming, Judas immediately went to him, saying, Rabbi, and kissed him. They laid their hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood nearby drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Every day I was with you in the temple, teaching, and you did not seize me. But this has taken place to fulfil the scriptures. And they all left him and fled. A young man was following, wearing nothing but a linen sheet over his naked body. And they seized him, but he pulled free of the linen sheet and escaped naked. God bless his word as we consider that in just a moment. Please be seated. Let's again come to God in prayer. Father, again we thank you for your word. It's a living word, alive and active. As we read in Hebrews, cutting the way through to where soul and spirit meet, to where joints and marrow come together, judging even the very intentions and thoughts of our hearts. What an amazing thing. Thereby, we ask again, and we don't take it for granted, that you will open your word to us, that we will understand and learn and grow and apply the truths of your word through all through the power of your Holy Spirit within us. And I pray that you'll open my mouth to speak your word for your glory. Amen. Now obviously in our passage this morning we see Judas betraying Jesus. And Judas is one of the most remarkable characters in the Bible, but for all the wrong reasons. How could anybody spend three whole years, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, in the presence of Jesus Christ, and still do what he did? How could anybody be that evil, that wicked, that self-serving and even callous remember he's sending Jesus to a cross in our passage today we see Judas in the act of betrayal and we see the Jewish council obviously the ones who take him the Jewish council as I've told you before um, they were called the Sanhedrin the Sanhedrin uh, that word simply means a gathering together and it was a gathering together of a collection of religious leaders. This was a religious, a theocratic society, as much as they could be, even though um, the Romans were actually in charge. Some of these Sanhedrin were from the sect of the Sadducees, and some, most probably, were from the Pharisees. Both were corrupt, both were false. And among the Pharisees there was also a group of scribes. Now these men had all the responsibility really of the decision for the nation of Israel. They were all religious leaders. They were the ones standing at the front, religious services leading the people. They were the vicars, the bishops of their day, the religious establishment. And Israel, as I've already said, viewed itself really as a theocratic kingdom. God was king as far as they were concerned. The religious leaders therefore served God by disseminating his will and his word throughout the life of the people. At least, that was the idea. But as I say, in actuality they were false, in a false system of religion. 
Now these different groups within this Sanhedrin, this ruling body of Israel, didn't agree. There were very, very strong disagreements on how they interpreted the Bible. The problem was they didn't accept the Bible at face value, they didn't accept it for what it said, therefore they had different ideas of what they would interpret it in particular areas. The Sadducees particularly were very liberal, they didn't even believe in resurrection or afterlife or angels. So these groups didn't agree, but they do come together at this particular time and they do agree on one thing at least. We see that here in Mark 14. They agreed when it came to their views on Jesus. In fact they were unanimous that they wanted Jesus dead. They absolutely hated him with a vengeance. Obviously they wanted him dead, they wanted him gone, they wanted to get rid of him. They were jealous of him for so many reasons, jealous of his power. Remember he could raise the dead, he could give sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, voice to the mute, he could make lame people walk, heal people of diseases, deliver them from demons, create food from nothing, control storms. Nobody else could do that, certainly not the religious leaders. So they were jealous of his power, which ironically meant that they obviously gave evidence and testimony to the fact that he actually did all these things. Remember what I've said in the past, one of the greatest evidences, the fact that Jesus did these things, is that his enemies, those who hated him, those who wanted him crucified and indeed had him crucified, they said, oh, yes, he, he does raise the dead, he does heal the people, but he all does it by the power of the devil. They couldn't deny the fact that Jesus did these things. So they had to attribute it to the devil. Because the alternative was to attribute it to God. And if they attributed it to God, then he is who he claimed to be. They're also jealous of his popularity. Very fickle popularity, because the crowds very soon turn, as we see on the Friday. But Jesus had an immense popularity. The crowds followed him everywhere. Jesus' popularity was like that which no person who's ever walked on this planet had ever received because nobody ever did these things that Jesus did. And you can imagine in a world where disease was rampant and if you caught a disease you're probably going to die. There weren't doctors in the sense that we have doctors today. They didn't have antibiotics. They couldn't heal in the sense that we can today with all the medical advances we've made. And suddenly this man comes along and he can heal everything. Even things that we still can't heal today. So you can imagine how popular he was. So these religious leaders were jealous of the accolades that Jesus had received from the crowds. However, what they most hated about Jesus was his message. That's what they really hated. They could have put up with the fact that he could heal, raise the dead, feed, and all the other things. But they really hated was what he said. It's always what God says that upsets people. Today, nothing changes. People don't like, even in churches, people don't like everything that the Bible states. And that was the problem then. They didn't like what he said. Now, the religious leaders of Jesus' day actually had a, a totally different message to Jesus. Theirs was a message of earn your salvation by works. Which is what we see today in the Roman Catholic Church. That was their message. Jesus' message was different. His message was repent, repent of your sin, and receive your salvation as a gift from grace. Then there's nothing that you can do to earn it, or, or actually even deserve it. So their message was you earn your salvation. Jesus' message was 
you can't earn it, you can't buy it, you don't even deserve it, but I'll give it to you freely as a gift of grace from God if you accept me as Lord and Saviour. So the religious leaders obviously hated Jesus for that reason too, because they had a different message. They wanted to earn their way into heaven. They didn't want to do it according to the Bible, because they weren't foolish enough to think that they could live according to the Bible fully. Nobody can. So what they do, they made up their own rules and regulations, which they could follow. That's why they made up all these rules and regulations. They did that so that they could say, oh, we followed the rules, we're on our way to heaven. They also hated Jesus so much because he was encroaching on their space, their territory. He was taking over their position as well as their popularity. And particularly the hatred intensified this week because he rode into Jerusalem on the Monday and all the people hailed him as the Messiah. Hosanna to the son of David. All the religious leaders were there watching that and they hated him even more. Then he came back on the Tuesday, right into the temple, where the leaders of the Sanhedrin always were running the temple, selling animals, exchanging money, and he threw them all out. That really upset them. So the, the levels of intensity of hatred were growing during this week. One man, by himself, with hundreds of thousands of people, amassed around the massive courtyard, and he threw out the money changes, the buys, the sell of animals, and he just emptied the place. Then, to intensify the hatred even more, he came back on the Wednesday and he really took over the temple that day. For one solid day, that place echoed with the truth coming out of his lips. Now, those three days sealed his fate for certain. If there was any question at all about whether they wanted him dead, they already wanted him dead. But those three days really intensified that. However, we see in chapter 14 that they have a problem. They were afraid of the people. How were they going to arrest this man and have him killed if he was so popular with the people? How were they going to pull off this execution with this level of popularity? So we see in Mark chapter 14, the beginning, verse 1 and 2, they're saying basically, well we're going to kill him, we want him dead, but obviously if there's one time that we can't do it, it's during this festival. We can't do it this week. We'll have to think of another thing. Not a very good idea to do it in public during this time. They knew that there could be some serious repercussions with the people. A riot could start. And they also knew that the Romans would react very strongly to that, so they would have a big problem. So their problem then of these religious leaders who hate Jesus, they want him dead, they need to capture him, they need to arrest him, they need to have him killed, but they can't do it. What they really need is to do it quietly. Which meant what they really need was somebody to point him out in the darkness, somewhere quiet, where there's no crowds, nobody would see it, and then they could act. But who on earth would they get to do this? They couldn't just go to the twelve and, and one by one ask them, you know, would you be willing to betray Jesus? If they did that, they'd all go straight to Jesus and say, the, the religious leaders are trying to get us to betray you. And they'd, they'd sort of blow their plan. So they can't really act in that sense they've got no choice they're going to have to wait and they're going to have to hope that somebody would show up who could help them but who would do that I mean everyone who followed Jesus was enamoured by him who would be a betrayer of Jesus when he was healing feeding when he showed love when he showed compassion 
And the people were even on the side of Jesus when he cleaned out the corruption of the temple because they were the victims of all this. They were the ones having to pay ten times as much what you should pay for an animal sacrifice. They were being totally ripped off with the coin exchange. So they were quite happy when he emptied the temple. So who was going to do this? But then, amazingly, even shockingly, particularly even to the religious leaders themselves, somebody showed up. Verse 10. Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him. Judas himself initiated it. Shockingly, one of the twelve. Now that couldn't have been any better for these religious leaders. And the religious leaders didn't come to him. He initiated it himself and they were very, very pleased. This was perfect. How on earth could they get anybody so close to Jesus to do this? And there's this man, one of the twelve, I'll do it. I'll betray him. So they promised to give him money and he negotiated for 30 pieces of silver, which is the price of a slave. So Judas was willing to sell Jesus for the price of the slave, exactly the amount that the Old Testament said that he would be sold for. Unwittingly they all fulfilled a prophecy that proves the, the validity of God's word. So Judas from that time on began to seek an opportunity to betray Jesus. So there he's in the background towards the end of Jesus' ministry and he's watching all the time thinking to himself, how can I get Jesus in a very quiet place and get away to tell the leaders to come back and get him? He needed to find a time away from the crowds. It needed to be night time. It needed to be dark. Which brings us to the Thursday night. Jesus met on the Thursday with his disciples in the upper room where they had the final Passover. The final legitimate Jewish Passover. And then he instituted the Lord's table. The communion. And on the Thursday night he also did a few other things. Some extensive teaching. We see that recorded in John 13 to 16. A lot of things were happening. But one thing that did happen was the issue of betrayal because at that table Jesus himself said something that shocked them all Mark 14 verse 18 one of you will betray me one of you who is eating with me and they were all absolutely shocked apart from Judas although he's probably shocked that Jesus knew but even then that didn't stop him doing it Judas was such an adept hypocrite, such a skilled hypocrite, that the rest of them had no idea that it was him. And they all began to be grieved and, and said, well, is it me? Surely not I. They no more thought that it was Judas than they thought that it could be themselves. That's how skilled a hypocrite he was. And then Jesus said, one of the twelve, one of you dipping bread in the bowl with me, for the Son of Man is to go just as it is written but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for him if he'd never been born. It was better for Judas if he hadn't been born than to dwell forever in hell. That's what Jesus is saying. So Jesus unmasked Judas, but the rest didn't know, apart from John, as we saw recently. And of course, Judas himself knew. And then Satan entered Judas. And Jesus sent him out and he said, Go and do what you do quickly. Amazingly, Judas, knowing full well that Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do, he still went out and he still did it. And the others, it says that they thought that Judas was leaving to do something with the money. Remember, he carried the money back. So that Thursday night, there's Jesus left with just 11 disciples. And Judas has been looking for that time 
and he knows that Jesus knows and he leaves and he goes to the Sanhedrin late Thursday night to set up a rendezvous he knows where to find Jesus he knows where Jesus and the disciples would normally go at night time they go to that place where Jesus often went the garden of Gethsemane and Jesus was there praying that's where they would often go with his disciples and Judas knew that because he was one of the disciples obviously so there were 11 disciples and Jesus obviously pilgrims, visitors to the city of Jerusalem for that particular Passover they didn't live there so they didn't have anywhere to stay really the place was drowning in visitors there weren't a lot of places to stay sometimes they stayed at Mary, Martha and Lazarus's house we don't know if they could all fit there but there was this other option somebody obviously wealthy from the city had a garden on the Mount of Olives this garden of Gethsemane and he provided this place for Jesus and the disciples and they went there quite a lot we see that in John 18 and Luke 22 verse 39 they often went there must have been somewhere perhaps a shelter there that they even stayed there at night times this was a perfect setup for Judas it's out of the city it's on the Mount of Olives and when the sun goes down it got really really dark remember these, in these days there weren't any street lamps or such the only lamps they would have were little oil lamps in the houses there'd been a little bit of a glimmer in the houses and the windows but it, when it was dark it was really dark so Judas sets it up to take the leaders of Israel and the entourage to find Jesus in the darkness in the garden of Gethsemane Jesus, Jesus is there in the garden he's been praying and remember he said let this cup pass from me three times and then he said nevertheless not my will but yours be done and while he's praying there the disciples are sleeping and he warns them it's very dangerous to sleep because severe temptation is coming then the prayer ends in verse 41 the arrow has come he said behold the son of man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners get up let's be going behold the one who betrays me is near there could have been as many as a thousand of them in the crowd certainly there were hundreds coming up to arrest Jesus at first they would have seen the torches then they would have heard the crowds Jesus saw it and he said let's go he didn't go the other way he walked right into the crowd that's where we pick up the account in our passage for this morning in verse 43 it's very early Friday in the darkness and everything gets in motion for the execution of Jesus he'd be dead by 3 o'clock in the afternoon that's how fast it all happens a betrayal, an arrest, two trials one before the Jews, one before the Gentiles, each with three parts, then a crucifixion and a death, all by three o'clock. God was in complete control of all of these events. These mindless unbelievers who hated Jesus were unwittingly fulfilling the plan of God. However, they were no less culpable because they were doing it out of the hatred of their own hearts. Let's look at the scene though. There's a few things I want to take note of. First of all, we see the confronting crowd and a betraying disciple then an impulsive disciple then a glorious Christ and then a cowardly apostles first of all the confronting crowd verse 43 immediately while he was still speaking Judas one of the twelve came up accompanied by a crowd with swords and clubs you know Judas is, is really the ultimate tragedy a man with the greatest of all opportunities and privileges that anybody could have ever had to be with Jesus, God in human flesh, the Son of God, 24 hours a day for three years, hearing him preach, hearing him teach, 
watching him perform miracle after miracle still to betray him Judas was filled with Satan now we know what a demon possessed person is like because we have descriptions of them in the Bible but Judas he wasn't just possessed by a demon he was possessed by Satan himself the betrayal was so important that the devil takes control remember um, we saw a few weeks ago that the point Satan had in his mind wasn't the cross he was hoping for a riot of the people which is exactly what the religious leaders feared but nevertheless he entered Judas it was a frantic night for this Satan possessed man first he has to go and find the Sanhedrin in the darkness of night probably sometime before midnight um, before the Lord's table was over he's out there he's getting permission he's telling them that he knows where Jesus will be he also has to get permission from Rome the Roman authorities to get soldiers to come to um, they're afraid obviously there could be a riot if this got out and um, we know that there was a Roman cohort there because John tells us in John 18 verse 3 Judas also went and got a Roman cohort the Roman cohort was a big group of Roman soldiers up to, up to 600 and also the Romans would have had extra soldiers at Passover because of the massive influx of people and by the way there had been a recent Jewish insurrection against the Romans and they put that insurrection down read about it in Mark 15 verse 7 and, and one of the principles incidentally and also interestingly in that insurrection that had just happened recently was a man named Barabbas and the Romans didn't like insurrections so they accommodated Judas so the very busy night he probably has to gain permission even from the governor Pilate himself so they got the crowd there with swords and clubs the, the swords would have been uh, the Romans only the Romans would have had swords the clubs would have belonged to the temple police they weren't allowed to carry swords but they would have had clubs the temple police were the ones who normally took care of temple security and they're there obviously with the Romans and all their swords we also learn from John 18 verse 3 they had torches and lanterns remember it's pitch black, very dark and it's critical to be able to see and locate which one of these men is Jesus at the appropriate moment so out of the darkness comes this huge crowd with the purpose of killing the son of God and Judas identifies Jesus verse 44 we see the betraying disciple he who was betraying him had given them a signal saying whoever I kiss he's the one and then immediately it says he gave them the order, seize him and lead him away under guard. There was nothing external you see that could identify Jesus as divine. Most of these soldiers and people wouldn't actually recognise him even if it was light. They needed to be able to identify him. They needed to have somebody who would step up and identify him. They also needed to make sure that none of the disciples would say, Oh I'm Jesus, to try and let Jesus off. They, they didn't have the courage to do that, sadly. But the assumption was, as far as the Romans are concerned and the religious leaders are concerned, that Jesus, he's obviously going to try and escape. No man would be ridiculously foolish enough to just say, oh yes, it's me, you can crucify me. He's bound to run away. Or perhaps one of the disciples are bound to say, well, I'm, I'm him and, and, and he'll just sneak out the back. So Judas says, I'll mark him out. You know who he is because I'll kiss him. A kiss was an ancient sign delivered in a number of ways. Slaves kissed feet. Inferiors kissed hands. Equals kissed cheeks. So Judas kisses him on the cheek. It's an act of affection 
honour, love and respect which makes it all the uglier to betray Jesus was despicable but with a kiss is hypocrisy at its darkest man of sorrow had many sorrows you certainly add that one to the list it says in verse 45 Judas was unhesitating um, he came up and he said Rabbi which means teacher and he kissed him and the Greek word there katephilo means to kiss fervently he didn't just kiss him on, on the cheek he kissed him again and again it's reminiscent of Luke 15 the, the prodigal son and the father kissing him all over the head it's that type of kiss it wasn't just a peck on the cheek it was a very dramatic huge show of affection but a false affection Luke says Jesus says Luke 22 verse 48 Judas is it with a kiss that you betray the son of man he said no really you're going to do it with a kiss it's like a shock is that the way you're going to do it Jesus could have destroyed him on the spot <coughs> but he didn't he submitted <coughs> excuse me, to the betrayal in order that scripture would be fulfilled and because of his love for you for me and Mark doesn't tell us anything else about Judas Judas kisses Jesus and Judas disappears off the pages of Mark's gospel what happened to Judas? well Matthew does tell us Matthew 27 verse 3 says Judas who had betrayed him saw that he'd been condemned now what does that mean? well that tells us that Judas obviously stayed around after he betrayed Jesus he stayed around for the trial that morning the trial went on into the early hours of the morning and at the end of the trial that's when Jesus was condemned so Matthew's saying that he saw him condemned Judas was there hanging on the fringes watching all of this happen and then after he'd seen Jesus condemned that's when he felt remorse and he went back to the religious leaders he returned the pieces of silver they said no he'd said I've sinned by betraying innocent blood they actually said what's that to us you know take care of it yourself and he threw the pieces of silver into the temple and he went out and he hanged himself <coughs> that's remorse that's not repentance he didn't even do that very well because Acts 1 says that he fell and he smashed his body on the rocks the rope or the branch or whatever he'd used broke obviously and he died a horrific tragic death Judas is the greatest illustration of a wasted opportunity, a squandered privilege. And as I mentioned just recently, if you've any doubt of the fact that he wasn't saved, consider the ominous words of Acts 1 verse 25. Judas, it says, turned aside to go to his own place. Not only did Judas go to hell, it's referred to as his own place. And you can add to that, as I also told you, the fact that Satan entered him. Luke 22 verse 3 the fact that Jesus called him a devil John 6 verse 17 and also very ominously the fact that Jesus said it would have been better if he hadn't been born for him Matthew 26 verse 24 and Jesus also said he was bound to be lost John 17 verse 12 I also told you just recently that the authorised version does say he repented in Matthew 27 verse 3 but the Greek word is not metaneo the Greek word for repent it's the Greek word metalamomai which means to, to feel sorry to, to wish it hadn't happened a better translation is remorse sadly when it comes to Judas that's as far as it goes so they arrest Jesus it says in verse 46 they laid hands on him and seized him which takes us to verse 47 we've seen the confronting crowds and the tragic betrayer then we see the impulsive disciple another person steps up 
Verse 47. One of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. John 18 verse 10 says it was Peter. And John also tells us that the man's name was Malchus, who was a servant of Caiaphas the high priest. What was Peter doing? He often seemed out of touch. Why was he doing this? I'll tell you why. He had something to prove. Remember, he'd just been told that he's going to betray Jesus, and he's so confident, and he's saying, you know, no I won't. That's not going to happen. It says in Mark 14 verse 29, even though all may fail, fall away, I won't. He's very confident. He really believed in himself. He had something to prove. John 18 gives us the same account. They all arrive and Jesus says, whom do you seek? They said, Jesus the Nazarene. And he said, I am. Ego I me in the Greek. That's the tetragrammaton. That's the name of God. In the Old Testament, God said, I am. That's my name. And Peter was standing there when he said, I am. And he saw them all fall down. The whole crowd just fall to the ground. That's why Jesus says, no one takes my life. I lay it down myself. And they all stood up again and said, who do you seek? And Jesus said, Jesus, I am. I just told you. Now, if you see Jesus with just a single word collapse a thousand, possibly up to a thousand, certainly hundreds of people, you'd feel very bold, you'd feel very confident. And Peter, at that point, he really felt bold. It was that amazing, powerful act of Jesus that infused Peter with strength. He needed to prove his loyalty. So he took a sword and he cut off the ear of Malchus. He wasn't trying to cut off his ear. He just lunged out in anger and the man obviously ducked. Peter wasn't that good of a swordsman, he thought, I'll just whop his ear off. He just went, whoop, and he just ducked. He might have had a helmet on, but he cut his ear off. And Jesus said, put away your sword, for whoever lives by the sword, dies by the sword. That's actually Jesus advocating capital punishment. That's a a reiteration of Genesis 9. Whoever (coughs) sheds a man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. That was capital punishment, because in those days, capital punishment was by the sword. Jesus wasn't saying that if you're a soldier and use your sword, you're going to die by the sword. Because that's not true. Lots of soldiers survived. So anyway, we see the crowd, we see the betrayer, we see this impulsive disciple. And the next thing we notice here is the glorious Christ. Verse 48, he said, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me, as you would against a robber? Every day I was in the temple teaching, you didn't seize me then, but this has taken place to fulfil scripture. Jesus is surrounded there by corrupt apostate religious leaders, he's standing by the forces of hell and the forces of man, but he's still in total control. And he's saying, why now? Why are you doing this now? You think you're going to get resistance? Why why have you brought all these soldiers? Why all the police? Why the clubs? Why didn't you do it on Monday? You saw me on Monday. Why didn't you get me on Tuesday? I was there on Tuesday. Why, why didn't you get me Wednesday? And he's making a point. He's unmasking their hypocrisy. This ridiculous operation. They were taking him at night. Which was in violation of all their laws. And his glorious majesty is displayed by the crumbling of the crowd when he says, I am. So he asks these re- re- reasonable questions. Am I some robber? Do you need all these soldiers? Have I ever tried to run away from you? Wasn't I there every day this week? Where were you then? Of course the reason that you're here now is that today the scripture is fulfilled. 
So Jesus asks the question and then he answers the question. He said, why are you here? And he says, I'll tell you why. Because scripture is being fulfilled. Which comes to the final point. The cowardly apostles. They all left him and fled. All the disciples left him and fled. They were never going to stand up and say, I'm Jesus. That was never going to happen. They all fled, including Peter. That's what Jesus said they would do back in verse 27. Instead of praying, they went to sleep. That's why they fled. Because they didn't have the strength. They were ill-equipped. They were weak, afraid and unfaithful. And exactly as Zechariah 13 verse 7 said... Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. That's the prophecy in being fulfilled. And then we do get an extra bit here in Mark's Gospel that we don't get in the other Gospels. A young man was following, wearing nothing but a linen sheet over his naked body. He pulled free of the linen sheet and escaped when they tried to grab him. He would have had his undergarments on, he always wore that, but nothing other than a sheet. And that was considered to be naked. Now that's the only place that this appears. Somebody in the middle of the night, heard a commotion, jumped out of bed, wrapped himself in his sheet, and went out to find out what's going on. Any more than that is speculation. We're not told who it is, but a lot of people think it was Mark himself, Mark who's writing. This is a first-hand account. It might have been Mark. And perhaps the reason that it's here is because Mark was there in his bed, and perhaps Judas before he went to the garden, went to Mark's house. You might wonder, why would he go to Mark's house? Well, Mark's mother was one of the early believers, and Jesus would have gone to her house regularly. So perhaps, and this is speculation, we don't know, perhaps Judas went to Mark's house, just to check, make sure Jesus wasn't there before he went to the garden. And Mark, who was in bed at the time, thought, hang on, what's going on? So he jumps out of bed, throws his sheet on, he runs out, and then he escapes having left the sheet but what's the point of telling us that I think Mark's telling us Jesus was alone even Mark went the disciples went even this young man whoever he was fled so there is Jesus he's alone in the darkness of night he's led to this false court put through two trials three parts each six separate tribunals and in the end He's left to face the cross. Nothing is to be said except that Jesus triumphantly and knowingly goes to the cross. Also fulfilling all the many prophecies to the very letter. There are prophecies about Judas, the betrayer. There are prophecies about the scattering disciples. There are prophecies about the Passover lamb to fulfill on Friday. There are prophecies about the cross that he'd be lifted up. There are prophecies about him being pierced with nails and the sword. All amazing detail of exactly what's going to happen to Jesus written hundreds of years before he even was born or really summed up in Isaiah 53 it says there he's led as a sheep to the slaughter and he goes willingly and he does it out of love for the father but also out of love for you because it's your sins that carried him there and that's what we're going to celebrate now as we celebrate communion together but before we do Let's pray.